Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in the wilds of Connecticut, this is Obscure Season 2, Frankenstein. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover. Your literary mansplainer-in-chief and soon-to-be Georgianologist, Michael Ian Black, just back from the Isle of Nantucket. I once was a man on Nantucket, um, and I, I, I can't really think of any rhymes that aren't too risque for this podcast. On YouTube, I've been watching videos of trucks. I have been watching videos of trucks. Here's a here's a strange thing that I've been doing lately: watching videos of trucks. Like you know, like uh, not trucks in the sense that, like, well, kind of. I was going to say not like trucks, like eighteen wheelers. Like I'm watching the trucks, but I kind of am. I've somehow become fascinated with truckers and long haul trucking. I don't know. I don't know. The last time I was interested in long-haul trucking was when BJ and the Bear was on television in the late 1970s, starring Greg Evigan and a chimpanzee. At that time in my life, I was probably eight years old, I thought to myself, that's the job for me. I'm going to be a long-haul trucker. And then the next year, I decided to become an actor. So I don't know what has gotten me interested in this other than, you know, it's this whole you know it's it, in some states trucking is the is the job with the 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 most people do there's so many truckers out there and i don't know anything about them it's interesting to me you know so i've been learning about uh, different cabs different kind of trucks you can have and and like what it's like to live in a truck you know and you have your sleeping quarters there and your little mini fridge and the different kinds of trucks there are you know peterbilts and Kenworths and Max, I guess, and I don't know, trucks. Interesting to me. Been watching uh, just truckers talk about trucking. (laughs) 
like lots of videos of truckers talking about trucking. I find it interesting. Um, so I was on Nantucket as part of the Nantucket Film Festival. I often go there because they often have me doing interviews. I interview people, you know, like, you know, they'll have like Ben Stiller there and I'll talk to Ben Stiller or whatever. I mean, whatever. I know Ben Stiller. Who cares? Whatever. I mean, we're friends, whatever. Who cares? Um, Ben's a good friend. Who cares? Um, or, you know, I'll be doing like their storytelling. But the, the, the point is that it's a, it's a you scratch my back, I scratch your situation where they say, hey, we'll give you free lodging and we'll pay for your ferry over there to Nantucket for a few days with your family if you want to come. And, and my answer is always, yeah, I have a great time when we go to Nantucket. And I had a great time this time. It was nice to see the festival back up and running after they had to cancel it last year. And uh, so I, this year, rather than interviewing, I was interviewed by a comedy producer and writer and animator named Donald Carey. We had a nice chat. And then I did Ophira Eisenberg's storytelling evening. Both were held at private homes as opposed to the larger venues that they normally have them. And that was very nice. One of them was held at the home of ambas- an ambassador, a former ambassador to Portugal. I didn't know where she had been an ambassador, so I said, where did you ambass? And she said, Portugal, during the Clinton administration. I wasn't sure how she would take the question, where did you ambass? But she had a fine sense of humor about it. So it was a nice time. I'm back now. Tomorrow, we head down south to Savannah to look at the house we just purchased. We've looked at it before. Now we are looking at it again, uh, now that... The previous owners are out. We're going to go in. We're going to take a look-see-do. You know, we've got painters working on it right now. We're going to have a floor guy come and meet us. You know, you know, we're doing all the stuff. So this is my one day in between my travels where I can record an episode of Frankenstein. And we got to get back to it because Victor Frankenstein finds himself in a pickle in a little English-speaking town. We don't know yet which nation he is in. He has, you know, sailed off the coast of the of the Orkneys and then got buffeted by the waves when he fell asleep like a moron. And then he got rescued. He's, he's, he's found himself in a little town and all the townspeople seem to be mad at him. He doesn't know why. And what, 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 what did he do? We, uh, I mean, look, we think it's probably got something to do with the big buddy. Why wouldn't it? Everything else has to do with the big buddy. The Damon, maybe he's been wreaking havoc on this quiet little town. But, you know, last we heard of Victor Frankenstein, he said, Why do you answer me so roughly? Surely it is not the custom of Englishmen to receive strangers so inhospitably. And we continue at the very end of chapter three of volume three. I do not know," said the man. "What the custom? He has a hoarse voice, so I'm I'm putting a little I'm putting a little I'm I'm grating a little cheese over it, grating a little cheese on the old vocal cords. I do not know," said the man. "What the custom of the English may be? Also, oh, they're not in England, but it is the custom oh of the Irish to hate villains, to hate villains. Is that Irish? To hate villains, or is that more Scottish? It sounds more Scottish to me." While this strange dialogue continued, I perceived the crowd rapidly increase. Maybe there'll be a hanging. Their faces expressed a mixture of curiosity and anger, which annoyed and in some degree alarmed me. 
I inquired the way to the inn, but no one replied. I then moved forward, and a murmuring sound arose from the crowd as they followed and surrounded me. When an ill-looking man approaching tapped me on the shoulder and said, Come, sir, you must follow me to Mr. Kerwin's to give an account of yourself. Now, that sounded more Irish. Come, sir. <laughs> Who is Mr. Kerwin? Why am I to give an account of myself? Is, this an, is not this a free country? Aye, sir, free enough for honest folks. Mr. Kerwin is a magistrate, and you are to give an account of the death of a gentleman who was found murdered here last night. Murdered here last night, he says. Oh, a murdered gentleman right there in Ireland, in Irie. Um, so, you know, we know, look, we know who murdered the gentleman, don't we? You and I, listener, we know who's responsible for this befouling, do we not? It is Big Buddy, surely. This answer startled me, but I presently recovered myself. I was innocent. That could easily be proved. Accordingly, I followed my conductor in silence and was led to one of the best houses in the town. I was ready to sink from fatigue and hunger, but being surrounded by a crowd, I thought it politic to rouse all my strength, that no physical debility might be construed into apprehension or conscious guilt. Little did I then expect the calamity that was in a few moments to overwhelm me and extinguish in horror and despair all fear of ignominy or death." I must pause here, for it requires all my fortitude to recall the memory of the frightful events which I am about to relate in proper detail to my recollection. End of chapter three. So, I mean, he has to pause to collect himself, get himself onto the fainting couch. Come on now, Victor, lay yourself down on the fainting couch. Have yourself a mint julep with me, won't you? Down here in Savannah. Um... Or in Nantucket, I guess you'd have uh, maybe a dark and stormy. Maybe a dark and stormy um, with some scallops. It's too early for me to take a pause, so we'll just go right on into chapter four. I was soon introduced into the presence of the magistrate, an old benevolent man with calm and mild manners. He looked on me, however, with some degree of severity. And then, turning towards my conductors... He asked who appeared as witnesses on this occasion. About half a dozen men came forward, and one being selected by the magistrate, he deposed that he had been out fishing the night before with his son and brother-in-law, Daniel Nugent, when, about ten o'clock, they observed a strong northerly blast rising, and they accordingly put in for port. It was a very dark night, as the moon had not yet risen. They did not land at the harbor, but, as they had been accustomed, at a creek about two miles below. He walked on first, carrying a part of the fishing tackle, and his companions followed him at some distance. As he was proceeding along the sands, he struck his foot against something and fell at his length on the ground. His companions came up to assist him, and... By the light of their lantern, they found that he had fallen on the body of a man who was, to all appearance, dead. Their first supposition was that it was the corpse of some person who had been drowned and was thrown on shore by the waves. But on examination, 
They found that the clothes were not wet, and even that the body, the body I just said, the body was not then cold. They instantly carried it to the cottage of an old woman near the spot and endeavored, but in vain, to restore it to life. It appeared to be a handsome young man, about five and twenty years of age. He had apparently been strangled, for there was no sign of any violence except the black mark of fingers on his neck. Well, I would say that that uh, that is a sign of violence. Whether you know, you can't really say. Well, there was no sign of violence other than the gunshot wound to his chest. There was a sign of violence. It was finger marks on his neck. So let's just say what that is. He was strangled. I would think when you get strangled, there are other things that happen to your body. No, like don't your eyeballs pop out of your head or something? You know, don't 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 they pop out of your skull like grapes popping out of their skins if you squeeze them hard enough? Isn't that what happens? Having never been strangled or done any strangling myself, it's hard for me to say, but it seems like there would be other physical markings. The very least, DNA under the fingertips. I don't know if they swabbed for DNA back then, but they should have. The first part of his deposition did not in the least interest me. Well, why not? (laughs) You know, it's an interesting story. You know, at the very least, you know, it seems to me, the last time you saw a big buddy, he was heading out to sea, right? Then you went out to sea. Then you show up at a town. Somebody's been murdered in the same manner as poor William. It seems to me that would be of some interest to you, Victor Frankenstein. I mean, at times, I said it last episode, I said it this episode, I'll say it again. He's a complete fucking idiot. Of course it should interest you. Oh, but when the mark of the fingers was mentioned, I remembered the murder of my brother. Okay, fine. And felt myself extremely agitated. My limbs trembled. And I apologize now for calling him a fucking idiot. Because we're in Ireland and he should be called a fucking idiot. A fucking idiot. My limbs trembled, and a mist came over my eyes, which obliged me to lean on a chair for support. The magistrate observed me with a keen eye, and of course drew an unfavorable augury from my manner. The son confirmed his father's account, but when Daniel Nugent was called, he swore positively that just before the fall of his companion he saw a boat with a single man in it, at a short distance from the shore, and as far as he could judge by the light of a few stars, it was the same boat in which I had just landed. So, that does not bode well for uh, poor Victor Frankenstein at all. I mean, they've got a dead body. They've got a witness saying they saw a boat out there, you know, right before he stumbled on the thing, a single guy occupying the boat, same same boat as we've seen with our own eyes come on come onto shore just now. What are we to make of this? I mean, what are what are we to think? Now, one thing you could do, presumably, is you could match Victor Frankenstein's fingers a little bit with the finger marks of the big buddy because you're not going to get fingerprints, obviously, but you, um, you know, the big buddy has very large hands. And you could probably tell by just putting the hands, you know, kind of on the neck where the dude was, the dude's neck, you could probably tell it couldn't have been Victor Frankenstein. It just couldn't have been unless he was wearing finger extenders. Now, we all know how do you commit the perfect crime? Finger extenders. 
It's well documented, but only in the 21st century. You know, for centuries, murderers have been getting away by using finger extenders. How do you think Jack the Ripper escaped justice? Finger extenders. Okay? So all I'm saying is any murderer worth worth his salt knows about them and uses them. But perhaps Mary Shelley herself did not know a finger extender. So anyway, let's take, now we'll take a little break. You know, we've set the scene, we've set the table, Uh, dishes are clattering, things are upset, auguries are happening, and uh, we'll be back in a moment to see what happens to Victor Frankenstein there in that lonely spot on the coast of Ireland, considerably less warm welcome than I received when I showed up at my own little island just off the coast of the continental United States there in the Atlantic Ocean. So oceans apart, Nantucket and Ireland, but islands they are. Um, I'm drawing parallels just because I can. They have nothing to do with each other. Back in a moment on Obscure. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back on Obscure. Um, Obviously, the song Islands in the Stream is now in my head by Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton. Uh, No doubt we cannot license that song because we, we can't afford that. But I could probably sing a little bit of it because now it's going to be in your head. Islands in the stream, that is what we are. Uh, Sail away with me to another world and we rely on each other. Uh From one lover to another. Uh the thing I never understood about Islands in the Stream is, okay, they they are, right? Islands in the Stream, and then, and then they sing, that is what we are, right? So in my mind, 
they're islands, like they're disconnected from the world, but because they are islands, they should also be disconnected from each other, right? Because that's what an island is. If they had said, islands in the stream, that is what we are, with a natural land bridge that is in between, then we can cross back and forth. You know what I mean? If there was a natural land bridge, but just being islands in the stream, it seems like they wouldn't be able to connect. Anyway. All right. So now we're back to the witnesses. A woman deposed that she lived near the beach and was standing at the door of her cottage waiting for the return of the fisherman about an hour before she heard of the discovery of the body. When she saw a boat with only one man in it push off from that part of the shore where the corpse was afterwards found. Another woman confirmed the account of the fisherman having brought the body into her house. It was not cold. They put it into a bed and rubbed it. And Daniel went to the town for an apothecary, but life was quite gone. Several other men were examined concerning my landing, and they agreed that, with the strong north wind that had arisen during the night, it was very probable that I had beaten about for many hours and had been obliged to return nearly to the same spot from which I had departed. Besides, they observed that it appeared that I had brought the body from another place, and it was likely that as I did not appear to know the shore, I might have put into the harbor ignorant of the distance of the town of, and then here we have three asterisks, asterisk, 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 from the place where I had deposited the corpse. What a strange little um, omission, I think. Why not just make up a little Irish town name, put it in there, rather than doing that, what I always thought was a strange convention of uh, antiquity, and, you know, not antiquity, but of past uh, novelistic centuries, to write, like, instead of the town name or the person name, like M-dash. Why not just make up a name? I mean, this is, we're reading now, not the first edition of this book. Like, she had a couple years where she could have just, you know, put in a name. Lily Fair, you know, so named... For the 90s feminist music festival, Lily Fair. And that was, of course, Lilith Fair. But Mr. Kerwin, on hearing this evidence, desired that I should be taken into the room where the body lay for internment, that it might be observed what effect the sight of it would produce upon me. This idea was probably suggested by the extreme agitation I had exhibited when the mode of the murder had been described. I was accordingly conducted by the magistrate, and several other persons to the inn. I could not help being struck by the strange coincidences that had taken place during this eventful night, but, knowing that I had been conversing with several persons in the island I had inhabited about the time that the body had been found, I was perfectly tranquil as to the consequences of the affair. He's got an alibi, Mary! He's got an alibi! He was there at the Orkneys when the body was found. He was out there, you know, cleaning up the corpse in the room. So how could he have created the corpse on the beach when he was cleaning up the corpse in the room? Right? Two totally different corpses. One, a young man of about 25 and 20. One, an assemblage of dead person parts dug up from the Orkneys. He is guilty of nothing and should be treated as such. He is an innocent man. 
And because we sang Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton, now we must sing a little Billy Joel. I am an innocent man. Oh, yes, I am. I entered the room where the corpse lay and was led up to the coffin. How can I describe my sensations of beholding it? I feel yet parched with horror, nor can I reflect on that terrible moment without shuddering and agony. The examination, the presence of the magistrate and witnesses, passed like a dream from my memory when I saw the lifeless form of Henry Clerval stretched before me. Okay, so, it's Clerval. Guys, it's Clerval. Wasn't expecting that. Probably should have. Pretty upset about it. Sweet, generous, kind-hearted Clerval. Poor Henry. Poor, poor Henry. Strangled to death by the big buddy. If... He wanted his revenge. He could not have picked a better victim than good old Henry Clerval, lying there, lifeless, at the inn. Clerval, whom Frankenstein was determined to return to before uh, this incident. Um, Gosh, in my head, whenever I hear Henry Clerval, I think of Henry Cavill, who plays Superman. And so... When I think about Clerval, I can only picture poor Cavill, his brunette forelock arranged thus on his forehead, the mighty warrior of Krypton fallen. And it's devastating. Frankly, it's devastating. I gasped for breath. And throwing myself on the body, I exclaimed, Have my murderous machinations deprived you also, my dearest Henry, of life? Two I have already destroyed. Other victims await their destiny. But you, Clerval, my friend, my benefactor. Now see, if it were me, if it were me, I probably would not have said, Have my murderous machinations deprived you also, my dearest Henry, of life? Two, I have already destroyed. Other victims await their destiny. I probably wouldn't have said that aloud, you know, in a room full of people thinking I might be the murderer. I might have thought it, okay? I might have thought to myself, oh, this is terrible because my dear friend Henry Clerval has been murdered and it's my fault. That I might have, you know, that thought probably would have passed through my head. I doubt I would have said it aloud because let's be honest. It doesn't look great, you know? And I I get it, you're upset. But best not to confess to murder even when you're upset, you know? That's just, and you know, frankly, that's something they should teach you in school along with personal finance and sexual education. They, They should teach you basic survival strategies when accused of murder. Number one on the list don't confess. Number one, probably get ask for a lawyer. Number two, probably don't confess to murder. Because that that's really bad. 
The human frame could no longer support the agonies that I endured, and I was carried out of the room in strong convulsions. A fever succeeded to this. I lay for two months on the point of death. Come on! No, you didn't. You don't see a dead body get a fever for two months. You just That just doesn't happen. You know? That just doesn't happen. Come on, stupid. My ravings, as I afterwards heard, were frightful. I called myself the murderer of William, of Justine, and of Clerval. Sometimes I entreated my attendants to assist me in the destruction of the fiend by whom I was tormented. At others, I felt the fingers of the monster already grasping my neck and screamed aloud with agony and terror. Fortunately, as I spoke my native language, Mr. Kerwin alone understood me, but my gestures and bitter cries were sufficient to affright the other witnesses. Why did I not die? More miserable than man ever was before, why did I not sink into forgetfulness and rest? Death snatches away many blooming children, the only hopes of their doting parents. How many brides and youthful lovers have been one day in the bloom of health and hope, and the next a prey for worms and the decay of the tomb? Of what materials was I made, interesting line, that I could thus resist so many shocks, which, like the turning of the wheel, continually renewed the torture of what materials was I made? Great. Great little uh, uh, thematic moment there. What makes us? Not only who makes us, what makes us? What materials are used in our creation that we may endure where others, well, gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? Fall, I guess. Fall? It wasn't a hard word to find. What materials did our creators use? What corpses did our creator dig up and sew together and leave us stitched like sacks of meat on a hanger to wander the earth in perpetuity, or at least for our natural lifespans. But for us, you know, it's perpetuity, just by kind of by definition, you know, our lives are defined by forever. In addition to trucker videos, and I'll end where I just ended, but I've been watching a lot of near-death experience videos. You know, when you go from UFOs, you know, when you, for what happens is when you accept that UFOs might be real, and we know they're real, but I mean, you know what I mean, not of this, not of this moment in technology, shall we say, um, then the brain starts going, well, what else, what else, what else have I dismissed out of hand that there might be something too? Psychic phenomenon, near-death experiences, remote viewing, I don't know. So I've been watching a lot, a lot of stuff about near-death experiences, very interesting, and, uh, you know, the idea that the soul survives death, very interesting. I mean, we've talked about this. But one of the things hypnotists do, these past life regression hypnotists, um, which frankly I think is a, lot, a load of hooey, but one of the things they sometimes do is they'll bring their clients in the, in the space between lives, right? So you die, and then you go to some space, 
and then you're born again, you know, according to these past life regression people. And, uh, but there's that in-between space where we make our deals for our coming lives. What do we have to work on? What, what do our souls need to rise, to learn, to evolve? What stuff are we hewn from? Whether we're talking about the uh, machinery of the body or perhaps the machinery of the soul itself. What is that? What is our consciousness? Who are we? What are we? I mean, it's a good question. Another interesting tidbit as I conclude, which ties into all of this and brings us back to the beginning of this episode, average lifespan of truckers, life expectancy, I should say, average life expectancy of a trucker. I'm pausing for you to consider the question and come up with your own answer. According to the website that I looked up, 61 years old. So not a very long-lived profession. And if you've ever seen truckers hanging out, you go, yeah, that seems right. They're often grayish and ashen-looking. They're often unhealthy-looking. We need to do better by our truckers. They need to do better by themselves, you know? Tough business. Being on the road all the time, 11 hours a day, by law. I uh, can't go more than that. And, uh, you know, eating truck stop food, snacks, filling up that mini fridge with soda pops, big gulps and whatnot. Not a lot of, not a lot of time for aerobic exercise, getting the heart pumping. I'm just saying, what are we doing with our truckers? Got to do better. Uh, we don't want them having any death experiences or near-death experiences. We want everyone to live long, fruitful, healthful, happy lives. Um, like the landed gentry do on the island of Nantucket, like myself. So, we conclude. I am Savannah Bound in the morning. I will be there for a few days. I will return with another, uh, I don't know, leisurely, a mysterious, because now we got a mystery on our hand. We don't really have a mystery, but we have a, we have a whodunit, even though we know whodunit, with another... Sanguinary. Let's go with sanguinary. You know, I used it last episode. I mean, the, uh, Mary used it last episode. I'm going to use it this episode. Back with another sanguinary episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. Obscure Season 2 Frankenstein was produced by myself, Michael Ian Black, Robin Lynn, Jennifer Brennan, and Mary Shimkin. It was recorded in the wilds of Connecticut at the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library. Theme music by Craig Wedren. If you would like to support this podcast, please join us at patreon.com slash Michael Ian Black. This is a podcast that does not receive any outside funding other than the funding that you yourself give it. So if you would like to support it, please do patreon.com slash Michael Ian Black.